You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this episode 19 of Quarantine and Chill. Sorry that it came out so late. I'm sorry that I didn't get one out too earlier today, as promised, but here it is. Here it is, so get excited. I said last week that this one was going to be my experience of dealing with my first COVID-19 test as a disabled person, but let me be real with you. I had some disability stuff happen this week, and I didn't have time to properly record an episode, but you are in luck that I got to sit down with a friend today to do quarantine and chill and invite one of my previous guests back. And we literally just recorded this a couple hours ago. And I'm so excited to share it with you. So let's get comfy, cozy, quarantined, and crippled, and get this quarantine and chill started. Before I let you know who my amazing guest is on the show today, if you want to be a part of a quarantine and chill, you can email me directly at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com using the subject line quarantine and chill. And let me know what you want to talk about, a little bit about your disability, what you've been doing in quarantine, what you're worried about regarding quarantine and disabilities, and we'll get you booked in for an episode. But now, let's get started. On the show today, I sit down with my previous guest, Anne Hottership, who I've worked with and done some sex education coursework with her and I've been a I've been a guest lecturer for her Everybody Deserves Sex Ed program which is amazing but today we sit down and we revisit a discussion of her living with motility issues around bowel stuff and we talk we really get into the shit of it if you will and we talk about her experiences with motility bowel stuff fear shame the pandemic doctor's offices um having a, you know, living with a partner during the pandemic. We touch a little bit on desire during the pandemic. Um, we touch a lot on what would happen to her if, you know, what what would happen to her if she were to get COVID with her disabilities, uh, what it's like to not be able to readily use a bathroom right now because of the, the, the shutdowns and lock-ins where she lives in Los Angeles. There's a lot to unpack here. And I was really, really excited to chat with her. So, here is episode 19 of Quarantine and Chill with my friend, Anne Hottership, right now as a part of Disability After Dark. Anne Hottership, hello. Hi. 
hi, don't you like my pr- pretend professional voice? Because anyone that actually talks to me knows I don't talk like that. <laughs> I thought it was great. It, you really sold it. Right, didn't it? So I'm so excited to bring you back on Disability After Dark. I loved talking with you last time. I've worked with you on a couple things now around sex ed and disability and all those things, which is amazing. Um, but I wanted to bring you on to this new little series that I put on the podcast because we all have all this time now. So I was like, let's start a series about quarantine and chill where I talk to some of my favorite dis- uh, disability thought leaders and I say, hey, how the fuck are you doing during the pandemic? And <laughs> that's kind of where this came from. And I thought you and I had such a fun chat last time we chat. We talked on the show and we just have a fun like friendship anyway that I thought bringing you back on would be fun. So hi. Hi, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime. Can you just reintroduce yourself to anybody who maybe didn't hear our first episode? And uh, tell us who you are, what you do, why you're awesome, and what your disabilities are. Totally. Okay, let's see if I can remember all of it. Well, my name is Ann Hodder Ship. I am a sex and relationships educator. Um, I run an organization called Everyone Deserves Sex Ed, which teaches people through workshops and events, but we also run a sex educator certification, an entry-level one, um, to try to help other professionals just um, really hone their skills. And uh, we just finished our summer cohort and Andrew was part of that. Um, And I also run a sex positive PR firm that helps fund all of my sex ed basically where I work with a lot of sex toy companies on their messaging and to see if I can incorporate a little bit of education into uh, marketing campaigns. So um, that's how I spend a lot of my time. I, my main disability would be a motility disorder, um, functional in my digestive system. And it's either the result of, um, or a combination of uh, muscular atrophy and um, inability to respond to prompts from my brain to function, to move, to make peristalsis happen. It also could potentially be related to uh, my brain and the nerves where there's just um, slow communication or muted communication. We don't really know. And, um, and then there's also some just functional structural trauma stuff from some old um, eating disorder issues and compulsive exercise issues, which likely contributed to the motility problems but were not the source the motility was an issue ever since i was young so um and then there's some anxiety and depression to boot isn't that the most fun (laughs) i have the i have a very similar experience with my ibs which is why i loved when we first chatted i was like oh my god we're pretty much the same person like yep like (laughs) i I was listening even to this recap being like yep yep checking off all those boxes because yep (laughs) Yeah, and it was a really long time. I actually didn't have language to really talk about it until like maybe a year ago, because before it was just, I guess I'm just chronically constipated. And then also sometimes I have spasms and I don't really, but I'm mostly constipated. So that's just who I am, I guess. And it wasn't uh, viewed as really like a thing. It was hard to talk to doctors about it because they were really just, you know, well, what about Miralax and yeah, laxatives? Like take a laxative and, and then yeah, and it's like I can't take stimulants because my muscles can't 
communicate with my brain. And yeah. so that actually causes me more harm. And I've learned that the hard way. Um, or it's just seen as like, oh, it's, it's psychosomatic. It's because you're anxious and you're just clenching. So just be less anxious and you'll just shit relax. more. And you're and like, it's like, I know that's not true. <laughs> Fuck off. And, and you're like, even if it was, <laughs> how am I supposed to? <laughs> yeah, show me how, please. Like, what do, how do I do that? For that. Yeah, I, I've cried in so many doctor's offices. I've been da- talked down to. I've been, you know, patronized. I've been insulted. And, and I'm a white person with all kinds of access. And that's in knowing, like, my experiences have been minimized and and um, and been just, like, just so much medical trauma as a result. And it's just yeah. a really important perspective, of course, for everyone else. Like, if me and in, in the body that I am in have experienced that then like let's get really real about what everyone else's experience are anyone who is not white and femme presenting right like, and it's like just, super able to just super, mm-hmm. super able to just get out, out of the office and walk away like yeah exactly yeah exactly i might have um, to make a you know a trip to the bathroom or, or you know a trip somewhere on the way out but i can definitely get up and 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 say took me some time to learn i had the permission to i I will admit but i i now i know that if somebody is treating me with disrespect i don't have to just stay sitting there to be to be the nice girl you know i can also get up and say um this isn't working actually um thank you for your time and and get the hell out and i can afford usually the copay even if i have to get up and leave see i'm canadian so copay is a thing that i'm like what (laughs) everybody says it when i talk to to you lovely Americans about about medical stuff on the podcast. Everybody says the word copay. And my brain doesn't get I know I'm mean, gonna know what it is now, but my brain doesn't get it because in Canada that's not a thing. Right. It's a whole I mean financial access is like a whole conversation, right? But it's like, you know, I just recently started freeing myself from the debt that I incurred having to pay out of pocket to try to figure out how to how to Why exist your gut in my body. Was hurting you. Yeah. And for a long time I was considered uninsurable. And then, um, but then when I was insurable, the prices were close to four or 500 and um, bucks a month. And wow. that in addition to 80 to hundred dollar copays to see specialists and, and then also really recognizing that a lot of the treatments that ended up offering me temporary support were not covered at all. So in addition to that, I had to pay out of pocket for, you know, colonics or for, physical therapy or for body work for pills um, or for like whatever and it is. tons of pills and so many supplements and so much so many things and you know i was five figures into debt in well just quickly in- into my 20s <laughs> wow so yeah. we made a joke earlier on the air like or mm-hmm. off the air that you were you know that people insult you by using the term full of shit not only mm-hmm. not only is that horribly insulting but also not only were you full of shit, you were full of debt because of the shit you were full of. Just trying to figure it out. There's so much trauma related to like what we're carrying around and it's figurative and physical. And it's, yeah. um, I, the, the heaviness of carrying around days worth of waste my, my body didn't know how to get rid of. Plus, really like the, the kind of debt that sometimes would send me into like fear of... Um, is this going to always be over my head? Is this going to be the reason I will never qualify to like have a house someday? Um, or I don't think I'm going to anyway, because it's <laughs> real estate in LA is crazy, but, um, or I shouldn't say crazy. That's ableist. 
it's really inaccessible to own a house anywhere around here. I also so love like, that right in the middle of the podcast, live on the air, you said, oh, that's like, I like that never happened. So thank you for that. Oh, I have to call my, I, the, the two things that I, I, there are two words that I are still part of my vernacular that I am consistently calling myself out um, as saying, and that's one of them. Um, but yeah, so it's like, I, I just didn't know if I had sort of inadvertently, quote unquote, ruined my life because I had spent all this money trying to see if things would work for me. And, um, and also I was still, I was self-employed at the time I was attempting to like run a business and <laughs> it was just like a, a really, you know, if <laughs> no wonder I was extra, if that probably made me extra constipated in addition to the motility yeah. issue, right? Like just having that fear and burden with me all day, every day with no one to really like help me, you know, I could talk about it, but like, I mean, I, well, I think talking out. about it and that's why I love having you on the show because I don't really talk about the shit troubles that I have with my IBS and all the things that I deal with. I just say, when people ask me how I'm doing, I'll say, oh, having a rough tummy day. What I really want to say is like, this really fucking sucks and I wish that I could poop normally and I wish that I could have a full evacuation and all these things that the doctors tell you that you're supposed to be able to do. When your body doesn't do that, you... I mean, we talked a minute ago off the air about like shame and all the shame around that. When your body doesn't do the things that every doctor is telling you it's supposed to do, when it only does a part of it or half of it or a little, you know, in my case with poo, when a little piece comes out and I'm like, why isn't it this big thing that they're telling me it's supposed to be? All I see is a little piece. I feel not only upset because I'm like, great, well, that means there's more in there that I'm not producing or that I can't evacuate and also i failed because the doctor told me it's supposed to look like this that's the hardest part i think it's the narratives around so much of my own healing and healing is kind of a loaded word but just figuring out how how to reconcile with things out of my control is really noticing the narratives that i have about my own system as well as the narratives that i hear others around me use about how things are quote unquote supposed to be as though there's like a right or a wrong way for every organ to function. Yeah. And I, I always, I like to just call that out even for myself because it's just binary language and we're, I reject binaries in every other place except computers and robots, I guess. <laughs> uh, why would I then have a binary idea about how like my colon or my is supposed to function or how my synapses are supposed to fire or how things are quote unquote supposed to be. There's, there's an absolute range and spectrum for how things are going to look and feel. Yep. We don't, we don't talk about that enough. And so that's why I love chatting with you and other people about poo, because not only <laughs> do, do we get to talk about it, but we get to like sit in a room digitally or otherwise with each other and be like, hey, this is a real thing we're going through. Totally. You know, it, it's, it's funny because I still, because I am so abled despite the stuff that does disable me, that there is this challenge about um, like the, the hierarchy of whether it's I'm worthy of being able to really struggle and then talk about the struggle. Um, because on the one hand, and I think we've talked about this before, it's just all internalized stuff. But like on the one hand, I, for a long time, I would have spasms where I would need to find a bathroom immediately. It really made high school for a little while really challenging because I had to 
you had to have a hall pass signed. You had to get permission. It was an event to leave the classroom. And if I would have to leave the classroom four times in a half hour during the 9 a.m. class, like that's really mortifying because everyone yeah. knows what's happening. And so I, I know what it's like to be constantly expelling with no with no real control or option. And then I also know what it's like to carry for seven or more days without being able to expel. And I see conversations online about how, oh, period poops are the worst. Or like these, you know, when your body is just constantly evacuating and cramping without control, it's the worst. I'd ra I I wish that I could just be constipated for a little while. And then I'm like, oh my God, I get that. And also, but constipated is also awful. It's also worse. I don't know how I could the, choose. Yeah, you feel the cramping and you feel the the discomfort, but with no, there's no relief. Plus, and, yes. And plus, like most of your serotonin is made in your in your large intestine, if your large intestine is overloaded with literal shit, what's happening with your, the serotonin absorption? Like it's, it's absolutely impaired. And yeah. so it's not just so much as, oh, how embarrassing it is to be literally filled with shit all day. It's like my brain can't function at its capacity when my gut is overloaded with literal garbage, like literal trash. That yeah, literal needs, like waste. Toxic. It needs to be gone. Yeah. And then it's just festering and it's like fermenting and the bacteria are having a heyday. <laughs> and it's just, it, it really, there's, there's an incremental domino effect to having the, a motility disorder like this that is more than just, oh, I'm bloated and uncomfortable. Yeah, completely. There's a whole... And that's why I love the, I love having a chat because it really illuminates for me again that it's okay that there's a mental, emotional factor to this. And so that yeah. I love talking to other disabled people about their shit quite literally because I'm reminded that you're not alone in this and that it's not, you're not just some disabled guy with CP who can't shit. And that's why there are other people who have totally different stories than you who are going through the same stuff. So like, I, I ended up talking to somebody this morning about about my IBS. I said, oh, I'm having an IBS day. And they said, oh, me too. And it was just this weird, like, oh, really cool? What's happening to you? Like, it was this weird, <laughs> like, I want to know your story. Mm -hmm. So it's, awesome. it's, I enjoy being able to, like, talk about the shit quite literally. Um, I want to move into a little bit about pandemic mm -hmm. stuff and poop. Um, I know for me, with all my bowel issues, the pandemic has both kind of been a blessing and a curse mm -hmm. because now we're all locked down. We're all sheltered in place, which means for me, I can't go anywhere, but my toilet's right there. So yay. Great. Um, how, how does that feel for you? Knowing that like, do you feel like comfort in knowing that you can't really go anywhere? So you can poo if you need to. A little bit. I mean, I will say I am, I am at a point in my, in my journey that I would rather have to poop than not be able to at all. Yeah. And I vacillate. I'm not saying one is better than the other by any means. It's just like my current choice is I would rather have the discomfort of constantly pooping right now because I am in need of that. Um, but it, I, I, I would say, yes, it's, it's felt like a blessing and a curse for a couple reasons. Blessing wise, I don't have the added stress or anxiety in the mornings of having to get ready and go someplace and make sure that my physical presentation is, you know, appropriate for, for whatever professional thing I'm doing that day. And then have to figure out what clothes that I can wear that are comfortable um, around 
um, my body. And um, so that's been really nice. But then also it means that I don't have access to the therapeutic tools that I, I wouldn't say relied on, but um, when I could afford them, they really helped me. They helped support me. So pelvic physical therapy has been an incredibly useful tool for me. And I only just recently discovered that it was an option for, for a motility issue. I really just kind of associated it with, you know, vaginal pain or preparation for birth or yeah. incontinence. And so um, I can't see my physical therapist. And so I have to try to learn some exercises and do them if I can by myself in my garage. <laughs> um, and I also can't access my colon hydrotherapist who was just like a lovely lady to sit with. She was a Holocaust survivor um, wow. and just really enjoyed having very straightforward conversations about the importance of flow, not just colon wise, but like flow in life. And I haven't been able to see her since March. Um, and I don't even really know how she is right now because her business was, you know, relying on in-person visits. And so I, you know, I don't have the access to that support tool and that person. Um, and if I do have to leave the house, which probably I've left the house maybe six times since March. It's um, so weird, right? To like never. So strange. Uh, I know that as soon as I leave the house, I am relatively SOL if I am going to have a spasm and I need to find a bathroom Yeah, because people are coveting their bathrooms because of, you know, germ spread. And I understand why, yeah. um, especially knowing that COVID is in feces. Uh, but I know that if I'm driving somewhere and I have an, an, an urgency or an urgent issue, it's not so simple as just finding a gas station and going into their disgusting hovel of a bathroom to go poop. Like, I'm fine with all of that, but I might not even actually be able to go in because the bathrooms are no longer for public use. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and it, that brings up a whole lot of, you know, old fear that I remember having when I was more spastic than constipated where, you know, in Los Angeles, it can take a half hour to go a mile sometimes. And I would map out every gas station and coffee shop along the route if I had to go somewhere in case I had to very quickly pull over um, and find a bathroom, which also meant I would know which intersections had the long red lights. Wow. That's, that's, like, that's you know, we talked a second ago about like mental, what the does to your, that must have been so taxing on your mental, like just so to go to the labor. store would mean that you'd have to, God, you have to know, okay, I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go to the CVS. So on this corner, I know there's a bathroom and on this corner. I know there's a coffee shop and on this corner, like mm -hmm. you must have been driving yourself just silly with mm -hmm. fear. Well, so much. And just that fear of anticipation, right? That anxiety, depending on what was going on with my system could be enough to trigger bowel release, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's also this, my brain thinks it's being very helpful by anticipating potential need. But then it's actually creating the situation I'm trying to avoid by doing so much anxious anticipation. And so yeah. that's also been part of the mental process for me is to really like learn what to do, 
how to counter some of that well-meaning brain activity with something that is a bit more soothing and realistic so that it doesn't completely hijack my brain and my body. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Um, how do you, uh, like, have there been any big changes in your bowel habits since the pandemic started? Has it been like, okay. Or has it been like totally because of all the fear around COVID has it been, has it been more spasms? How's that been going? It's a good question. You know, I would have thought maybe there would be more constipation because of the fear, but I think, um, I don't know, very quickly on, I, I got into this headspace of acceptance and, you know, this idea of radical acceptance is something that was introduced to me a while back where I just kind of like go into a place of neutrality. And so when, when the pandemic stuff was happening, I was just very much like, okay, there's so much out of my control right now. What is in my control? And is it possible I could just be neutral about it instead of being like happy or not happy just for the sake of survival in that moment? And, um, and I was losing a lot of business because of it. So like there was definitely stuff triggering fear, but right. um, there was something about, I have to imagine the, the last several years of really shifting into um, what can I do for myself when the fear really gets intense to feel a little bit more supported. Um, I'm, I've seen the way that I've experienced this pandemic has proven to me that some of that, that work has stuck and that it really, it is there. It's not that it's, I'm done with it, but it's that like, I, I thought, and I wondered if it was worth doing and I hoped it was working and now I'm seeing, okay, yeah, when I'm getting really, when I'm feeling, for instance, like there's been a couple of days without a whole lot of movement bowel wise. Yeah. Okay. I know that I can go into my garage and I have some torture looking tools that I can use to help um, wake my, those muscles up and to remind them. I kind of picture them like roommates where it's just like, you just have, I have to poke at them a little bit to like, Hey, get up, like wake up. It's, <laughs> it's noon. Like let's fucking go. And but not in like a jostly way, just kind of like a, like, I'm not going to let you get away with just being fucking dead and asleep yeah. this whole yeah. time. Um, and so I can do little things that on paper seem small, but for my body, it's enough to kind of like show my body like, oh, someone is here. Someone's listening or someone's here to help us. All right, sure. Let's, yeah, let's do something. And um, so that gives me a sense. It, it helps shift out of the hopeless place where before I was so reliant on outside support that I'd have to pay for and drive to and spend an hour doing. Now I don't have any of that option at all. So I'm just, it's like, I'm forced to be my own. To be your own cheerleader almost. Yeah. And also allow myself to like have days where I just kind of feel like garbage and also fuck it. I'm going to eat whatever the hell I want because (laughs) Because I'm in pain anyway, all the time. I already feel like shit, and I'm not going anywhere tomorrow. So if it means I have to do work while wearing, you know, old smelly pajamas I haven't washed because that's what I'm comfortable in, then, like, whatever it takes to get the job done that day, I'll do it. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. For me, it's like, okay, I'm going to eat whatever I want. I just had pizza for lunch, which is which I know is a trigger for me. I know it already. I know it already. I didn't care. I got the greasiest, most disgusting pizza, and I was like, it'll be amazing. And it was. 
And then I'm like, well, you know what? I'm all, I'm already in pain. I'm already hurting. Like it already always hurts. So fuck it. I'm gonna just enjoy my day. And if tomorrow I have to wear a diaper, who cares? That's the thing. Yeah, there's this 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 idea of like, what really is it about having to you know wear the diaper or cancel the plan or back when we had plans, you know, or yeah, like, what are those? Where yeah, where the the old lounge clothes? Like really, what is quote unquote, wrong or bad about that. And I think it's the judgment and the societal meaning that we put on it that like, oh, you're using this thing because you couldn't do it on your own as though that's some sort of very shameful thing, right? And it's not at all. It's like, look at this. I have, thank God I have access to this stuff because then I don't have to restrict and I don't have to live in this life that me personally, my entire life was nothing but conditions and restrictions um, for a long time. Right. So now it's just like, I, I can't survive in the restriction, but I can survive when I have access to, oh, maybe I'll wear, you know, my period underwear tomorrow. Cause just in case, Good, and, yeah. and, and like, who's going to judge me, but me. And then if it is me, that's judging, I can actually work on that. Yeah. I can fix that problem. Like people don't, people don't realize that when I wear a diaper, yeah, there are days where it sucks and it, it, it affects my skin and it makes that a little bit uncomfortable but if i'm having a big flare day if i put that depend on i can okay i can get up and i can do my some hours of work or i can do whatever i'm gonna do mm-hmm. but i know that i'm supported and i have this on and i can feel it on my body and it makes you for me anyway it makes me like take a breath and relax i'm like, okay if you yes. have an accident you're not going to destroy that 20 dollar pant you bought mm-hmm. that you really like mm-hmm. you're not it's not gonna you're not gonna have to throw it out because oftentimes with my disability sometimes because I need to have other people cleaning me. I'm like, Oh, I'll just throw the pants out, whatever. And I'm like, but that's $25. That's a $20 pant that you liked that is now that you threw out. <laughs> so when I wear a diaper, I feel like, okay, at least you can still look stylish, even if you're sitting in a pile of your own shit. Totally. I, I think that's a really important thing. And I'm happy for you to like, you can also access that because there is so much judgment about this idea of like wearing diapers as though it's this horribly shameful thing. And of course the people who really perpetuate that narrative are the people who don't have to use diapers yet. Right. Um, So fuck that. Um, But it gives you, there's this sense of freedom where it's like on the one hand you're allowed to struggle. And I'm saying this even for myself, like we're allowed to struggle with, I wish I didn't have to do this extra thing today just so I could exist like other people. But then in addition to that feeling, is how lucky I am. I, I, I'm able to feel a slight sense of maybe freedom or security as a result of using this, this support tool. And so thank, I'm thankful for that in addition to feeling like I wish I didn't have to. Yeah. Both, and both, like, both those time. feelings are completely valid. And yeah. I think like, just because I'm thankful doesn't mean I don't hate it. Exactly. Like, just because I'm thankful doesn't mean I'm not like, oh, fuck. I'm glad it's there, but it doesn't mean I like it. Um, see, this is why I love having you on because we just get to go right into this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you feel like, you know, during all the pandemic stuff right now and all the things that a lot of disabled people and people with chronic stuff are going through, we, these communities have said to me a bunch of times on these episodes, like, this is kind of the new normal for everyone else, but we've been experiencing this kind of isolation and this social distancing and physical distancing forever and ever. Do you feel as somebody with chronic stuff 
Um, do you feel like there's a familiarity there in kind of what we're all experiencing? Yeah, I sometimes wonder if maybe that's why, I'm, I mean, obviously I've struggled in the t- pandemic, but I don't see myself having these crises that I'm seeing around me. And I've wondered if it's because um, I know what it's like to stay home and to be, to feel very alone in things and to have to wear pajama type clothes all day, maybe for a couple of days. And I know what it's like to shift things from in-person to digital. And, and I was already spending a lot of time working from home even beforehand, not necessarily by choice. And so it was just sort of like, it, it became more of stuff that I was already kind of doing and it didn't mean I was into it, but I was, it didn't feel like as harsh a transition. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say the same, like, like, I would say yes to that, but also like there have been moments where I'm like, Oh fuck, it's month. Like, like I was looking at the last time I was able to suck a dick today mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh, it's been literally six months. What the hell? Like I like yes. given my access to sex workers and my access to like all the things that I have arranged for myself to have my needs met. I would never go more than two weeks without being like so it's time for a session like let's and so the fact that it's literally as of next week it'll be like month six I'm just like okay like <laughs> like so and so for me like that there's an there is a sense of like yeah I'm used to this but at the same time I'm not used to this at all totally I mean it is it is weird to have to really reconcile with we are all in just like a collective trauma response, whether we are aware of it or not. And so while we're also adapting because human beings are relatively good at figuring stuff, some stuff out and just continuing on the other hand, it's like there we'll go through these sort of, it seems cyclical a little bit where uh, one day we'll be like, wait a minute, this is completely fucking like off the wall. What is happening? This is how much time, when was the last time that I breathed real serious air outside of my, uh, you know, garage patio space? Like, I don't even know. Um, And I do think it's, it is something really interesting too. I have to acknowledge, like, I live with my partner and so it hasn't been, but my partner also is doing a lot of work outside of the house. And so that has been interesting to, I have access to another human, but then also even though that human is really physically accessible, the, the realities of the pandemic itself and the stress and the anxiety and then the bodily response absolutely are impacting whether or not I even want physical or can deal with, with physical connection with my partner. And my partner yeah. experiences that too. And I think that there's another discussion also to be had about this idea of how, how the pandemic is impacting desire and access to joy and pleasure, sexual oh, and yeah. otherwise. Right? I mean, I mean, I'm, my sense of joy is really manic, if I can use that term. I'm not sure if it's a bliss. I don't mean it in that way. I just mean it's really up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, in one day, I'm a great. And one day, I'm like, I feel really good. I'm super attractive. Like, yeah. And the next day, I'm like, no one likes me. And it's going to be like, I'm the, the next day, I'm like, it's month six of my inability to see somebody. And like, how much longer will my poor disabled body have to go through this and I'm sure for you and your partner it's like we could have sex right now but we're both dealing with trauma how do we find desire with each other when we're both exhausted even though we want to is that kind of how it is 
Kind of, but also even like the want part isn't always there. I mean, they're part of the, I mean, this is a whole other conversation, I suppose, about just the realities of relationship in general. Like there's, there are times where it feels a little bit like, um, like I don't even really want pleasure even by myself. Like I have to also in very, very intentionally use my understanding of responsive desire, like to really like build desire, even if it's not quite there yet, just in order to like, I don't know, I don't like the word like to make myself, but to get myself to do some type of personal touch, even if it's just putting lotion on and it's not even necessarily overtly sexual. Like I have to remind myself to to connect with my body um, and to remind myself that it's there, even though my body right now is um, a different shape, a different form. It feels different than it did six months ago or eight months ago. And and also, thank you, body, for look what you've been able to get me through. You know, you're getting yeah. me through this pandemic. And that those two realities and truths are also coexisting, right, at the same time. And so when it comes to like the sex thing, sometimes even like asking for it, like I have to, I have to think to myself, like, what am I able to um, withstand the potential rejection, which is totally okay. But like, is my brain and body in a state of sensitivity or fragility that I might actually prefer to just connect in a different way and then be okay with thinking about or trying for a sexual connection in the future yeah yeah it's a constant conversation and i think that's a really like i haven't talked to a lot of disabled people with partners during the pandemic so i think it's a really interesting like the discussion of rejection and if like they say no that's fine but i'm sure it can be troubling when the person is right there and if they just said yes then then and if they were comfortable and you were comfortable and they were able to say yes, then you could have that need met. But if they say no, then what do you do? And so like having to remember that even though you're living with them, they're going through their own stuff mm-hmm. in that moment around the pandemic. I'm sure that for both of you can be really, it's a different, it's a different way of looking at consent, I think, through the, through the lens of the pandemic. Well, totally. Because I mean, he and I both, work in fields that can be taxing. He spends even, I lost a lot of my clientele when the pandemic hit and he works in almost exclusively trauma treatment centers and addiction treatment centers. And so um, there's been like, and that work didn't go away because the pandemic happened. And if anything, now we're just him especially exposed to the, the suffering and the stress and the, lack of systemized safe care um, that people in addiction experience. And so it's just, it's like amplified and then it, in the presence of the pandemic. And so it's just a lot to have to experience and carry and deal with. And so there's just a general like desire is one of the first things that just go off the list when you are yeah. in any type of, you know, fight flight. And so the mismatched desire piece is just, I, I think it needs to be normalized. I think it is um, more common than anything, pandemic or not. And for me, it's really just, I'm not even necessarily feeling like, oh, I have a sexual need that has that needs to be met. Like I'm actually noticed like my sexual desire and needs have been muted. Um, 
And so now it's like, what I actually want is the oxytocin and the bonding and the connection that sex can lead to. Yeah. And so if sex isn't available, I'm, I'm a little bit like, okay, like, I mean, I have to deal with the, you know, the feeling of, am I being rejected because of how I look today because of pandemic issues, yada, yada. But then I move through that narrative because it's actually just bullshit. Yeah. And instead it's like, okay, cool. So sex isn't going to be the method through which I can connect with my partner. What else could we do? Is there anything else instead that is maybe that's more accessible to him? Um, and then we'll try to figure that out. And sometimes it really is just both sitting next to each other with maybe feet to feet touching or feet on leg and he's doing video games and I'm looking at cat photos. <laughs> that instead of judging that, I'm just like that, if that's what we can do, fuck yeah, let's fucking do it. You know? Do you think that you, this is a totally off tangent question, but I had it when you were talking. Do you think that you looking at cat photos, remember how we were talking earlier off the air about like, how, like, the doctors saying to you, just relax and you can release more. Do you think if you looked at cat photos on your phone when you're trying to poo, you might relax more? Oh, I've tried. It, <laughs> if, if only, if only. There, there are things that I, I will look at that are very soothing to my mind. Um, some of them are cat photos and cat videos and others are, I, I, really, <laughs> I really enjoy watching um, professionals pop pimples and cysts. As a, as a former, you can judge all you want, but as a former dermatilla maniac, um, I had, I understand compulsive skin picking and like yeah. hair removal and all of this. And so I, I have definitely used those hoping that maybe that could get me into a space of soothing and relaxation. But really what actually, I don't need to be mentally or emotionally relaxed. My, my system, if the my brain can't communicate. To, yeah. Right. Like my brain has to then send the signal to my intestines to, to say, okay, contract, do peristalsis, release the sphincter. And so if that communication can't happen, it doesn't really matter how much relaxation I'm actually doing for myself. It's like we talk about in the medical community, they talk to me all the time about, cause I have what is considered an idiopathic neurogenic bladder, which is code for you can't pee and we don't know why. Do huh. you think that you have, they used the term, neurogenic bowel with you is it a thing is it a thing i don't know because still to this day it's been 14 years i have i did i've never really had a conversation with a medical practitioner who utilized actual language to help me understand this beyond you're just constipated and the idea understanding the motility disorder was sort of like an accidental thing that a gi doctor had mentioned to me after i did a ton of relatively intimate, vulnerable pooping and bowel testing. Yeah. Um, and like for structural testing. And he just mentioned, well, I mean, you have a, you have a motility disorder. Like we know that. And I'm looking at him like, I have a what? <laughs> Tell me what that is again. I felt I've been searching. I just needed a label for it. Yeah. I've been seeking and, and just like, it changed everything to have a name for it. But then even talking beyond that, there's no one's really trying to actually uh, like give me language or validating language to explain for myself and others, like what really is going on. Yeah. And I, for me too, the, every time I'm going to see a doctor, they've said, just like you take Miralax, take a laxative, take peppermint oil to help with the spasms. 
um, and just don't worry about it because whatever. And I'm just like, but <laughs> I, you don't understand, Doc. I do worry about it all the time. <laughs> all the time. Like, it's <laughs> the only thing I think about when I get up all the way through my day, even, even as we're sitting here doing this, like, I'm relaxed now. But still, in the back of my mind, I'm like, what if I have to? <laughs> like, so they don't understand the emotional toll that takes. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, um, and I remember we had talked, I think we talked in our first chat about how you got more comfortable sitting kind of in your bathroom with your partner there during the pandemic, being that you have to spend much more time together. How do you feel now, like, if you're having an urgency day or if you're having a day where things are literally going to shit? How do you, <laughs> how does that feel during the pandemic? It's honestly just as normal as before. I mean, I don't remember exactly what I had said in our last conversation, but yeah, like really for, for any relationship I'm ever in, including close friendship, like talking about sex and poop is just going to be like on the table always, <laughs> just like talking about the weather. And if I can't do that with someone, then someone can't meet me there. Um, then I'm definitely not going to be having sex with you. Yeah. And I'm certainly not going to be, you know, considering like committed relationship with you. And so I had to be in the past. It was, I, I didn't know how to tread talking about the, the constipation stuff. Cause I didn't really have as much language for it. And I was still confused about how to talk about it. Cause doctors didn't really know what to say and so with with um Nathaniel of course it was just very early on like this is a thing for me and I know that when I'm in a space of stress like if I'm having a spastic day and I know that like I may have to pull over right away um part of what makes that harder is if I am holding that as a secret and like part of the fear is not only do I have to find a bathroom and someplace to park, but then also I have to tell the person who's driving that they may need to pull over right away. And so I just eliminate that part because that's within my control. And I think the secret part, like when you said that, just now my brain went, yeah, like there's so many times when I don't, like if I'm out on the train heading to my families or doing something, I mean, not so much right now, but even sometimes right now when I'm on the train going to see my family, if I'm whole, if I'm like clenching and I, I can't say anything and I can't express like, Hey world, I have to poo right now. I want to tell you. And if I was able to tell you, I could relax. That secretive part of it, it also like bleeds into the shame part because like if I'm holding a secret, that means it's bad, which means I can't tell you. Like, yeah. So so I'm glad that like, you and your partner have this like understanding where I love how you said that sex and poo are on the table regardless, which I feel like that <laughs> speaks to me in, in such a true way because it's the same for me yeah. when I... I'm talking with sex workers or sexual partners or people that I want to engage with. I'll say to them, like, if I shit on you, we're still going to be friends. Right. Cause like, that's, that's what could happen. Yep. It's also similar with farts too. I will say farts are on the table because they yeah, I mean, everyone farts and I find farts are always funny no matter what. Um, <laughs> but I know like, my, like my own like gaseous, emissions are going to shift and change depending on what's going on on my inside so that also has to be part of the deal where it's yeah. like i need you to think this is funny because a <laughs> it is funny and if you think anything else about farts like if it's like a ew gross how dare you there's just no way that this will ever work yeah um and i'll say this as a little anecdote the adorable thing is my partner does not have 
the issues that I have, you know, digestive wise. But when we were first dating, he apparently, when I would be at his house, he would leave the room occasionally to go downstairs. And apparently he was just sort of like holding his farts <laughs> so that he could release them outside of the room. And I thought it was like, oh, how thoughtful and adorable. But then I'm thinking like, oh, you don't even know what you're in for. Yeah, you're me. not even ready for that. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, so that was kind of, few, I mean, that was very short lived, of course, very quickly on. I remember I, I farted for the first time in front of him. It was total accident. One of those, you know, just what my sphincter does sometimes. And I was just like, oh my, I, I think I said something like, oh, I hate my life. And I slowly moved out of his eye shot just so I didn't <laughs> have, don't, don't look at me. And uh, it was just an instant laugh. And I think for him, it was like, oh good. I don't have to fucking hold my farts in anymore because she did it first. So let's just let it rip. <laughs> so funny. No, but I, like, I, I think that comfort of having those conversations with somebody of like, this is what, and also, you know, when you're in the hospital and you're farting, and I was in the hospital recently with a bowel obstruction, they tell you in the hospital that farting is good for you. Mm-hmm. Farting is healthy. If you're having gas, it's really, really good. It means that you're moving things along. So... I try to remind myself, like, hey, if you do this right now, it means your body is working the right way. Totally. Yep. I think reframing all kinds of bodily functions is really important because we do put so much shame and, like, control over functions that are really actually just, they they should be involuntary. They really just, if they need to happen and they're ready to go, like, let it happen, you know? Um, Yeah. So, yeah, permission for all of the functions, I think, would really help a lot of people. Functional farting is good, friends. Yes, yes, yes. All the farting, all the things, whatever your body <laughs> has to do, let it do. Um, what is what are what is the best and worst parts of social distancing for you right now? I think the almost both. I mean, there's so many things. How do I choose? But um, the best part is I get to. Uh, I don't have to work so hard to be social and, and, and on and friendly and good at my job and also feel like I look good. All those, those pressures are just gone. And I've, I've, there's been so much more space to create things and to do things and to just sort of focus, put my focus and energy on other things. But on the flip side, it does enable me and make it a lot easier to justify um, some behaviors that are a bit maladaptive, like not necessarily showering for a while or not really giving too much of a shit about what my, what I am ingesting. And am I, am I actually eating things that are just that are going to help you more harmful? Yeah. And not even necessarily like, oh, no, I'll get gassy tomorrow, but really knowing that there are particular foods that my body doesn't really manage well, um, yep. and especially if they're going to be in my body for a while. Or like, am I actually, when's the last time I really talked to a person for the sake of just social fun and not like something with a work, a work goal or a production goal? And like, it actually might be like, I'm there's a little bit of like social isolation that feels really, really nice and comforting. And also I don't think is good for me. Yeah. I agree with you. Like there's part of me that loves 
getting in my hole and just I mean that sounds super sexual but that's not what I mean just getting in like my like Netflix hole and like just not moving for like five hours Mm -hmm. and just being doing like the thing that I like to watch right now is a lot of (laughs) you laugh at me it's a lot of um antique like people who do antique sewing on YouTube I don't know why but I love that it's the most calming thing I've ever watched I don't know why and they make these um, beautiful gowns and I could sit there for like five hours and just be the happiest clam but I'm also like I should probably also reach out to a human like I should like try to try to connect because otherwise I'm just I need that connection but so I, I definitely understand when you say like I love it but it might not be so good for me yeah I get it yeah I think um I mean, you can watch your antique shows and I can watch my pimple popping shows. Um, and yeah, there's that. And I also like, yeah, there is an element of like a little bit of disconnection with my body, with a little bit of disembodiment that um, I, I also, in, in addition to the disconnecting socially that I notice, um, I can find a way to really spend a lot of time working on some really interesting things that feel good to me but then I might notice like oh I haven't actually intentionally moved my body at all like for I don't know how long and um and in some ways it's a way to escape my body which again on the one hand it's a coping mechanism that sometimes I I need to do and then on the other hand I actually it it harms me to escape from my body in that way yeah yeah so I have to then get uncomfortable a little bit you have to with balance that. like do you want to move around and or do you want to like do you want do you want to sit in, in one place and maybe hurt your body because you're not moving it right because atrophy is a thing that contributes to my motility issue and so by stagnation of my body it also can help exacerbate the symptoms that i'm trying to manage right and so yeah. it's like do you ever kind of sit just sit even when you should be moving because your thought process might be if I move right now it's gonna trigger a huge release that I'm not wanting to experience so I'll just not move that used to be back when I had to leave my house a lot and I had to work with clients and I had to be in front of like groups of people where the last thing I wanted was to have to shit in the middle of a conversation in front of people so for sure there were times where I definitely avoided some of my my morning you know exercises that I'm supposed to do for myself because I couldn't handle the, the risk of an uncomfortable loud like the bathrooms in these places are not private by any means no, right no. so like the, the clients I'm working with will be able to hear whatever the fuck I'm doing um but now that I don't have to go and do in-person client visits and my sessions are either canceled or they're digital I now am the thing that I, I'll sit there and if anything it's more like I really want the release, but the discomfort of having to really experience my body in its current form is, is so triggering to me that I, I am overwhelmed and now I'm just kind of sitting frozen for a minute. Yeah, and like so then I have to address that for myself. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel that with regards to if I have an accident, I'm like, it's different in that, like, do I want to call a person to help me change right now? Do I want to have to go through that whole process of having them see me had to have, have an accident and having the shame of like, yes, they're professional and yes, it's their job. But do I want to expose that to a person right at this moment? No. So 
even if I have the accident or if I'm having a rough day, I'm just like, well, would I, should I just stay here with it? No, no, I should probably call somebody. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, if I just stay here, then, it, then I won't have to deal with all that. Mm-hmm. Totally. I think, you know, the whole like delaying or avoidance thing is something that we do. And mm-hmm. I think as long as we're not, if that isn't our solution every time, then I think it's totally valid to have those like vacillating moments of like, ah, would I just deal with this right now? Maybe I could just deal with this instead. Maybe I could just sit my own pooper a little <laughs> bit. It's all right. Right, right. Yep. Um, one of the questions that I've been asking people about the pandemic with, with varying levels of disability is if you were to, and I'm not sure how, how, how applicable this is to, to your motility stuff, but I'll ask it anyway, because maybe it is. If you were to contract COVID and maybe go into the hospital and, ha- and COVID became a part of your experience, how do you think, you, first of all, do you think you would, do you think given your motility stuff, you would survive? Or do you think there may be a problem? And how do you think you would be treated in a hospital setting? It's a really good question. I do think I would survive. My motility issue is not considered a pre-existing condition. I do have some fears about, I have some like allergy, asthma stuff where it can be hard for me to breathe occasionally just in my house. And so there's, there has been some fear about, you know, if I were to contract COVID, assuming I haven't already, you know, how would that impair my breathing? And would that make me more likely to be ventilated just because, and I don't know, this is all just like, I don't know kind of stuff. And I'm very privileged to not have a really definitive pre-existing condition that would ultimately lead to my mortality. Like, so, so I'm also acknowledging that in addition to feeling nervous, I do think that, um, if I were to be hospitalized, one reality is just, I know that the way that they deal in my experience is the way that most hospitals deal with constipation in a, in a, in a patient who's, who's there for something else is they will just consistently do these enemas. Yeah. And I am no stranger to those, but I also know that when somebody else is administering them, it can be um, really invasive and, and traumatic and traumatic and all the things. Um, so, so that's certainly a thing that I would anticipate, but also I think if I was hospitalized because of COVID, I, that would probably, I imagine would be um, on the bottom of my concern list probably. Yeah. See, I would, given that I, I have, you know, poo stuff, when COVID first started becoming a thing, people said some of the symptoms of COVID are diarrhea and like mm-hmm. some of the symptoms of COVID are poo stuff. So I know my brain would go immediately to, yep. oh my God, it must be COVID because the, I've been there. Yep. Like the, the, there's an immediate fear of like, oh no, it must be this. So I know I would immediately have a, have a fight or flight response of like, maybe you're just having watery stool or maybe it's just a little bit softer. Like it's okay. But my brain would go to like freaking out. Yeah, I had a couple of those where I would have, um, I, f- I feel like almost everybody probably has had at least one time where they're like, is this COVID or is this something else? Is yeah. this COVID or is this my period? Is this COVID or is this my current chronic issue? Uh, who knows? And for a long time, even now, it, it feels very challenging to get tested, at least for me, um, knowing that in Los Angeles, the, it is, we're just, it's like the pandemic has just gotten 
for some reason the city kind of behaved as though the pandemic was over and now we're like back to you know pandemic day one um even going into a place to get tested with a bunch of other people who may or may not have symptoms feels really high risk and so i've been kind of because i i don't have to leave the house really and i haven't um very lucky i've just kind of made the choice that um the odds of contracting it in the way that I'm currently living my life are probably really low. My partner, the main thing would be if my, my partner was exposed in the work that he does. And yeah. so I'm just focusing more on prevention on my end. And then um, I will get tested if it, if it, if I've come in, if like, I know that there's some sort of degree of separation between me and someone who had a positive test yeah. Um, but it almost feels more risky to me to get tested, which is so weird to think about, you know, it's, so, like it's more but risky I, I to totally, do it. I totally understand your, because when I got tested a couple, the first time a few months ago, I remember thinking before we were able to get, because we have mobile testing here and we have people come and test all the disabled people where I live. Mm. So that's great. But before we knew that was an option, I, and we found out that somebody had tested positive we immediately were like, okay, well, did, should I go to a testing center? But then you're like, well, I might have to stand there for hours. What if I'm standing next to somebody with a positive test? What if they're like inadvertently spreading it without realizing it? And then what if I get it? And so the, the, that fear of like, should I get tested is very scary. Totally. You know, you, you bring up another, another layer to this that I didn't even really think about. Um, I still, I do have issues with standing still for long periods of time without getting really lightheaded and dizzy and I have to sit down right away. And so there's also been um, concern about, like, I can't really go to a store because I can't wait in line unless yeah. I bring a chair, which, what am I, how am I going to do that at the grocery store? Um, I mean, I guess I could. But it's just adds this other thing where I don't know how long I'm actually going to be somewhere. And if I might, I might not even actually be able to physically continue doing the waiting part, let yeah. alone the activity itself. And I'm sure there's a, there's probably a social stigma. If you were at this testing center waiting and you asked for a chair, they might think you're weak, which they might think then you have COVID, which then like, I'm sure there might be all this mental stuff people were doing. Like, Why is she sitting? What does that mean? Is that potentially? Like- and also, I think that, you know, understandably so, I, from the outside, am, look like just a regular old, there shouldn't be any, cha- this person, why would this person have any challenges? She looks like she's in the prime of her life, or that's what my doctor once said to me a year ago, and I'm like, fuck you. Um, I do not feel prime, think so. Uh, where it's like, we save our chairs for the elderly, or we save yeah. our chairs for people who are, you know, physically disabled, and and. I understand that I wouldn't argue, but also, but I, I know that I won't be able to stand for much longer without passing out. So um, I guess I'll just crouch on the floor, you know, it's Which, just, yeah, I don't have a, a problem with it, but that doesn't seem very sanitary either. No, that's a whole layer of the waiting that I didn't even think of. Um, definitely for sure. But yeah, it's weird how quickly, like looking at the news, how quickly LA went from oh they're doing not so bad it's getting better there too like the other day it was like oh my god california is the <laughs> whoa yeah and even just yesterday it was my partner's birthday and so i went and um there's a restaurant that doesn't do delivery but has this gnocchi that he really likes and i was like yeah well for sure go pick that up and los angeles has 
definitely made these like social distancing setups so that it's um, it's a little easier to like wait in a line if you have to, and while also yeah, maintaining distance. And, like, don't... Yeah, the little stickers and stuff. So I went there and they had their patio open for in in person dining, and I was sitting there with or not sitting, but I was standing with my mask and my um, glove set up and, and all of the people who were greeting me, you know, with my deliver or with my pickup order, they had this, they all look like they were wearing armor and I'm walking by this patio where there are just people chatting and drinking wine and eating pasta with no gloves, no mask, as if it was like a regular Thursday. And I hadn't really seen too much of that because I don't really leave the house. And I just, there was a, there was like a cognitive dissonance there where I couldn't compute. And it was so, even now it's, I feel so unsettled by it. And I yeah. don't know how someone can eat linguine in the presence of a, a service provider with a face shield on because you asking for more Parmesan actually could give them a deadly virus and you still <laughs> think how, that that's okay yeah i love how like that depiction of the poor server going like it's so it's almost burned in my mind now that that image of and i think we've seen that image in the news of like mm-hmm. people who are not social distancing who want food and then the server is wearing full ppe yeah. and you're just like what are you what's what what this feels wrong you should leave because right no one should be serving you if they have to wear that and it's it's this really challenging thing because on the one hand the server needs a fucking job and needs money because we don't have a rent control or we don't have rent cancellation we don't have any real support here so on the one hand they need the job but then on the other hand i don't see how you could enjoy a meal in the presence of that very real reality of this interaction could kill who knows everybody around me yeah and do i really need this goddamn pasta that bad that i can't just bring it home and eat it on my couch could i not just call uber eats and have it sent to me like something and then give give the delivery driver a giant fucking tip for doing that for us like i just Uh, don't if, assuming, of course, you know, this is also like affordability and access, but like if we can afford to go into the restaurant to do that and tip the server, could could we potentially just reverse it and make a new environment, but you're still tipping the person and you're still patronizing the, the place? I guess I'm, I, this is coming off, you know, there's a little bit of judgment here, but there's also just like reality of like, I don't see how that meal could even be a little bit enjoyable. Yeah. It's just, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I, no, I, I fully understand with what you're saying there, and I agree with you. I don't think we should be. I And we're opening up more stuff here in Toronto in the next day or two. We're, we're entering stage three, which I think is a really dangerous idea, and I really wish that our officials would not mm-hmm. open up stage three because it means that people are going to, people are going to disregard because they're tired. We've been doing it for six months and I understand why, but also as somebody with, who is 100% high risk to the thing, I'm like, nope, stay at home. Like, nope, not. I can't even tell you how many times in the last six months I wanted to text my sex worker and be like, come over, like reckless abandon, let's just do the thing. And I have to be like, no, because I don't want to hurt them or myself. 
Mm-hmm. Like I went out for coffee the other day with my friend who I hadn't seen in six months. We both were socially distanced and we were wearing a mask. And we were seeing people around us not doing that. And like what you say with like the like does not compute. I was like, what's happened? Like what is going on here? And yeah. you, it's, you try so hard not to stare and judge and glare and be like, what are you doing? But it's almost innate because you're like, shouldn't you be, why are you not as concerned as I am? It's totally. And then there's the whole added layer of just like, but also how do people pay their bills? Like some, like because we live in this, this capitalist, you know, culture, like oh, we shit. also, we end up having to choose, okay, am I going to put myself at risk or am I going to go to work today and hope that I get enough tips so I can make my rent? There's also that where it's like, we have yeah. to choose between, and I'm, I've been really lucky. I've been able to f- figure out how to, I, I haven't made up for my lost business, but I, I have other things that I could do digitally. But if I worked in a service field that was exclusively in person, uh, I'd, I'd have to decide between, I actually had to with one facility, I, I had to decide, is it worth potentially getting a life-threatening virus or in, in order to make some money? Or could I just figure out how to live without this money? Isn't that awful? Like you have to that's, then put your life with a monetary amount, that's which isn't even that much because people aren't ever really paid what they're worth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as somebody who lives on social assistance and who's like been quote unquote poor pretty much my whole life, I know how to live with no money. So like, but at the same time, yeah, you're right. Like I want the money to feel like I have access to things. So yeah, it can be that feeling can be super do I do this or do I just rely on the social assistance I get or like, do you know, what do I do? And so I, I definitely feel that sometimes where like I could, I could sit here and not work and get my monthly check and I would be okay. I would be okay, but I wouldn't be able to thrive. I wouldn't be able to do things for fun. Certainly right. wouldn't be able to afford, you know, sexy times when they're on offer. So like mm-hmm. it's deciding, it's partially deciding what you want. And I think, the pandemic has kind of illuminated that there's what you want, there's what you need, and there's somewhere in between. And you have to make that choice in between of like, what do you really need? And what are one or two things that you really want that you can afford that aren't mm-hmm. going to kill you? Well, totally. And then of course, because in the United States, like, as you know, the whole social assistance programs are incredibly complicated and, yeah. and less reliable. And so then you have situations where you don't even, there isn't like a social assistance backup. And then it's like, okay, I've got to pay my rent and I maybe I have a couple of dependents and I really don't have the option anymore to not put myself at risk and figure out some job, you know? And so then you become an essential service worker that is still getting paid minimum wage or just above it. Yeah. And that's supposed to just be normal. And we're all supposed to just accept that that's how life is here. And that's just not, it's just, Seriously, America. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's not like this is news, but we've always known that the, the system is incredibly, it's functioning how it was built to, and it's built to benefit very particular communities. Yeah, exactly. Um, but now it's like this, there are like 14 more spotlights on how... Um, how glaringly inequitable it actually is. Inequitable, how classist and racist and ableist and all of it is, it's just all piling on. And... Um, the thing that I have that I think I struggle with is just is the hopelessness of it where I we also have a you know the people in charge they're not even really denying it anymore they're just like it should be fine 
this is yeah. how it is and also why are you. you upset yeah like it's happened for hundreds of years and it'll keep going best luck right like, no, we're not going to but... change it so and Do we're just kind of sitting here like oh okay uh it, it just like at least when you were pretending we could fix it we felt better kind of or like or we because there weren't so many spotlights on it maybe it was yeah. a little bit you know for for some of us who have the privilege to not have to live it constantly every day but now it's like there are people looking around who seem to be just waking up to this reality over the last six months of course yeah. not even including you know the uprisings especially in los angeles where people are just like wait a minute so this is how it's always been and it's it's actually there isn't a, an american dream and what about the bootstrap argument isn't really a thing and oh no we should all be upset about this right and then like you know and the rest of us like, are like well, yes we, have, we, we are <laughs> totally and also so like let's you know awesome welcome and also there are just there are times where it feels like what what can we really do i mean we know what we can do to try to make change but like unless governmentally you know we get our we get Congress back and we get the Senate back. Like we, I don't know what the future really holds pandemic or not. And it just, it gets into the success pool of just um, a little bit of despair, which, which I'm sure does not help. doesn't help your poo. <laughs> no, definitely not. And it definitely contributes to a bit of the stagnation of just um, not wanting to, to like exist in, in it because it is so painful for, everyone around and yeah. it's so so then it's just like okay i'm gonna now i guess today is going to be a a sad day and what what can i do to prioritize the self-support over the the protect productivity pressure yeah yeah completely and i feel as a as someone who's also a freelancer and a self-employed person the pressure to be productive right now even with this podcast, which I love and it's my baby and I love it to death and it's my favorite thing to do. But I'm also like, do I have to put it out an episode? Can I like wait seven years and then I'm like, do I have to right now? Because I just, I didn't feel like I want to produce. And it's like, I know you work so hard on your stuff, but I remember we were talking a couple of weeks ago and we were both saying, oh man, it's so hard to like get stuff moving. And so like, I definitely understand the desire to just to just watch that antique show until there's nothing else to do or watch that pimple popper show until you don't have to like, until you don't have to worry about work anymore. Yeah. Or until I watch every single one and there aren't any left. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So my last two questions for you, what advice would you give to disabled people with, with, with or without your disability right now? Like if you were to speak to in the, into the mic to these communities, what would you say to them to get them through the pandemic? Some like words of advice or just words of like solidarity or camaraderie? I think part of it is, is the solidarity of like, you are so not alone, even though you might feel the most alone you've ever felt. And also just nothing but validation and permission. All of what you're feeling makes total sense. You are allowed to feel all of it plus more and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And the, the main advice is just, Feel what you need to, and if you notice that it's those feelings are starting to feel like quicksand, that might be the signal to okay, this is when I should probably have a conversation with someone. So I'm not just having that conversation with myself in my head over and over because I don't yeah. want to 
you need to feel it in order to be able to express and to move through it. But also we don't want to drown in it because that doesn't help anyone either. Yeah. We've all seen that scene from never ending story where a tray dies. Nobody wants to be in that. So if you're feeling that way, talk to somebody. Yeah. Even if that's like, you know, messaging someone, my DMS are always open. I of course have, a, you know, my story is a very specific story and it's no one has the same one. And, but you don't have to, I don't have to 100% understand someone's experience to be able to respect it and to hold space for it. And the one thing that unites all of us is we all at least know what it's like to feel hopeless without solution and that no one can, no one understands. Like that is something we can probably all connect with. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would, or I would, I would suggest anybody with motility stuff or poo stuff that wants to have a chat dm me or ann because we apparently we're yeah we're like the, the poop royalty or whatever yeah we're pretty much we're we are the shit quite literally um um and the flip side of that question if somebody is if you were to give advice to non-disabled people people without motility issues people without chronic illnesses people without disabilities who are experiencing all this stuff for the very first time and are going holy fuck i didn't realize this and now i feel this way what advice would you give to them right now i think i would probably just focus on um that this too is temporary even if it might be a long-term temporary and to also notice that like while you are voicing your discomfort or your outrage or your challenge that that is all valid and also be prepared to be met with some uh, reactions that are a little bit like totally and also we've been saying this for years yeah and i'm really happy that you're here but also what took you so long and I've also been in that part of, you know, this is a conversation that's happening outside of the disability thing too, where it's just, there are people who are just experiencing things that other people have been experiencing their entire lives. And so just to have respect about how much space you may be taking up um, when talking about your stuff, because it is valid. And also um, we don't want to, that, that conversation to then dominate the general conversation about yeah. what's going on. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I think we need to, Decenter, like, like, even even in my privilege as a disabled person, a white cisgender disabled person, like, we need to decenter that in these discussions. And if if it means like listening to a person of color express their their upset and fear on this, great, I'm gonna shut up and I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna let them talk because they need they they've been clamoring for the spotlight forever, and I have a responsibility to. Even though I go through different stuff with my disability, I have a responsibility to sit down and listen to them. So, definitely, that's... I think it's all about understanding the the what platform. Like, if you need to share your stuff and and make it all about you, you you need that too. But that is when you do it, maybe one on one or privately. You don't yeah. necessarily then use a public platform to then broadcast your thing because while you have the right to share it, it's what is the methodology with which you're doing it and the intent behind it? Because you have to then consider, is it possible what I'm wanting to get out of this actually is going to have a completely different impact as a result. So it's just learning like, where do I step back? And then 
where else can I turn to in order to then get and ask for the support that I do need? Yeah, completely. One final question that I had when you were talking and it popped in my head and I want to ask it before I forget. Um, if somebody, because of the pandemic, is experiencing different bowel stuff as a result of their fear around the pandemic and they're like, oh no, what do I do? How do I manage this? Do you have any thoughts for them? Yeah, I think it, uh, just to sort of manage, like if you're having, if your poops are different, that means that like your brain and your bowels, which basically they're both different, you know, one brain, two brain, they, they're, they're kind of the same. They have a lot of similarities um, in terms of, I mean, this is like a whole other conversation, but uh, it just means like, this makes sense. Let your bowels do what they're doing because it is a physical manifestation of what is happening for you emotionally. And um, then to practice like, okay, what helps me get through this? shift out of this, oh no, what's wrong with me? Because there probably isn't anything wrong with you. So don't get into that narrative. And it's more about, okay, this is stressful. This is how my bowels experience this kind of collective trauma. Interesting, this is information for me. Does that mean that I might need to eat a different breakfast uh, in order to support my system into the day? Does that mean that I might need to adjust how I consume food later in the day, knowing that while I'm sleeping is when um, my digestion is going to kind of slow down and maybe it doesn't feel as supportive to go to sleep with a full stomach. Um, or maybe it is I, I, the experience of feeling hungry when I wake up is, puts my brain into a place of like fear and stress. And so maybe, okay, I'm going to eat something that maybe is high in protein so that the feeling of hunger when I wake up isn't so intense that I get really stressed. Like there's just so many things that we can do that are with, with just direct intention toward like supporting our bowels. You just have to really pay attention and be willing to like actually be honest about what's going on. And to like get in there because of all the shame. Yeah. Totally. It's working through the shame and, and seeing if there are other people you can talk to because it isn't just you and it, you're not the only one. Um, and then just like notice if you're not doing something for yourself because you feel like you shouldn't have to or that you're not supposed to need that. Those are stories you were taught that aren't actually necessarily even yours. And so you get to then shift through, okay, well, and who told me that I shouldn't actually be wearing uh, stretchy waistband pants every day, yeah, right? For instance, or a diaper, or like maybe a couple more panty liners if people wear those and, you know, all of that stuff. And then to get to shift out of, okay, well, what if there was a new story that like in the presence of this situation, I am able to function in my body better when I have a certain texture against my body. So that might mean okay, I'm not going to be wearing close-fitting clothing. Bras are gone. I'm going to be wearing flowy boxers instead of briefs against my skin. Or maybe the opposite. Maybe I feel comforted when I have firm clothes on. So then yeah. maybe that means I'll wear a sports bra or um, you know, spandex pants or leggings or something because it feels like that compression is supportive. Like you just, it's more about I'm doing it because it feels 
good and helps me survive the day more so than I'm doing it because this is how I should, or this is how it's, it's professional. And here's the right way to here's get what to I'm supposed to do. And what I've been told forever. Yeah. Yeah. Get to a routine. They say, even if it's a pandemic, the thing that'll help you is a routine every day, put on that office clothing, make yourself feel professional. And it's like, who was, who actually wrote those articles? Like, who were the sources of that? It was the people who were like, don't stop working for me because I need your employment because I make money off of you yeah. and the work you do for me. And like, just notice like, who are the sources of all of those judgy stories? And then yeah. you get to say, ooh, are they qualified to tell me what the fuck I should wear during the day? While I get through whatever, you know, work while I'm I get through I'm the, the worldwide trauma that we're all experiencing? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Definitely. This has been such a fun conversation. I love sitting down with you and really, I'm going to make a bad pun here, but I like really getting into the, the, the shit with you because it's, it's really fun and you're so knowledgeable in it. I just like, I really enjoy our chats and I love having you on. I'm sure I'll find another reason why you can come back on again because it's so fun. Um, <laughs> totally. But how can people, if they want to talk poo with you, how can people do that? Um, I think the easiest way is probably on uh, Instagram, the Ann Hodder, H-O-D-D-E-R is my uh, screen name handle, whatever it's called. Um, if people want to work with me, they can go to um, Ann Hoddership with two P's dot com. Um, and yeah, everyone deserves sex ed is the sex ed organization too. Uh, you can email me through that, but the website is everyone deserves sex dot com. Um, but yeah, Instagram is probably the fastest. Instagram is the way we do it now. It's weird. But uh, weird. this was so much fun. I love chatting with you. And I will talk to you very soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Thank Anne. It's so funny. In talking with Anne today, I never really considered poo during the pandemic and what it would be like to have a motility issue. And I think about poo all the time. But like I said... When talking to Anne, I don't really talk about it so, so much in my public persona and in kind of what I do. I've chatted about it a little bit during the <laughs> during this podcast, like once or twice a couple years ago, but I haven't really chatted about it super much. And, and being able to sit down with Anne today and talk about kind of how the pandemic has played a role in her poo issues and, and being able to share some of my poo issues, too, with her has been really super, super powerful. I really want to thank her for coming on and being so vulnerable with me and talking shit with me uh, because it's not an easy conversation to have and I know many people are, are struggling with poo stuff, especially during this weird time we're in, so I really appreciate that Anne sat down with me. If you want to come on and talk about some hard things around your disability on a quarantine and chill or a regular episode, let me know. I'd love to have you. But that's episode 19 and we'll be back uh, next Friday or... Or the Friday after, we'll be back at some point with a new Quarantine and Chill talking about my experience with being COVID-19 tested. I'm probably going to record it soon, so you'll get it very, very soon. And we'll be always available for our Thursday episodes. Episode 201 coming up this week. Haven't recorded it yet, but it'll be on the way on Thursday. Thanks for listening to Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on all things disability. Alright friends, this has been another edition of Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things 
disability. I'm, of course, your number one queer cripple and your disabled Dick Smith host, Andrew Gerza. If you like what you heard today and you want to follow my work and find out more about what I do, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow the podcast directly, you can head over to Twitter and punch in DisAftDarkPod and follow us there. If you want to contact the show with a show idea, a guest idea, a comment, or a complaint, you can head over to your email and email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to this latest edition of Disability After Dark, and we'll be here to shine a bright light on more things really soon. Thanks, everybody. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020